to fans labyrinth your favorite okay come on <laughs> come sorry. on i can't deal with this face i'm sorry you just sound like a fucking like mid-morning radio host oh my god i'm trying here lydia <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cover my entire face <laughs> hello and welcome to- <laughs> yes do it like that <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, your favorite podcast about indie movies and genre television. I'm your host, or one of your co-hosts, Joseph, and here's my other co-host, Lydia. Thanks for forgetting about me. I what? How? Well, true. I mean, I did forget about you, but like I do this podcast alone. There's no one else on it. It's just <laughs> one person host. doing a bunch of different voices. I'm your parasite. Whoa the opposite of a host yeah no i got it i'm your host and you're my parasite (gasps) beautiful i'm not fucking leeching off of you (laughs) look at all the researching dude so i watched nothing this week hooray well yes you were on vacation though from everything including the podcast but that'll be thrown in there no i mean like i'll i'll talk about it a bit I know, I was just gonna say, you're just gonna leave it at, like, I didn't watch anything and then not give a reason why. Like, I just sat alone in a room, quietly, in silence. I was on vacation. Um, how have you been? What's, what's been going on? Uh, I've been good. Um, not a lot has been going on. I'm working a lot, obviously. So that's Mm -hmm. great. My work is starting another new podcast, so I'm helping out on that. Um, so that's cool. And that's honestly, that's about it. Like, I haven't really done anything. But you've been watching a lot of stuff. I've been watching a lot of stuff. <laughs> been watching a ton of stuff because I didn't have you to talk to. Aww. So I was like, I guess I'll just watch I'm stuff. your only distraction. I mean, and work, I guess. Yeah. Why don't we just jump right into it? I was gonna <laughs> Anyone in. get the reference? No, oh, God, Jesus. What has been something cool? Tell me something cool, Lydia. Um, that I've watched or in general? Yeah, um, yeah in general. No, make up a random news story about something cool right now. Did you know that oh, after God. mating, male octopuses generally die? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> let's, hear about, <laughs> let's hear about a movie or TV show. That's a true fact, everyone. Look it up. The life of an octopus is incredibly depressing. I don't like that. Ugh. Did you know <laughs> that pandas are an evolutionary mistake? And eat six, they eat 60 pounds of bamboo per day, but their bodies are made to be carnivorous, so they cannot digest bamboo, and yet they have <laughs> been unable to learn that they're supposed to be meat eaters. They're living. So they're not. They a also often fail at mating. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually a huge problem in in zoos, and usually their babies die. Oh God, 
But what about that sneezing baby? So they often have twins, but they will generally choose only one of the of the babies and then leave the other one to starve. Right. So pandas and yeah, they just choose like the stronger one because it's really unlikely for them to survive because they're so tiny anyway. So they mm. choose whichever one seems more stronger, like stronger or seems healthier and then they'll leave the other one like in the wild to just die or be eaten. So in zoos, zookeepers will like take away one of the panda babies and keep it in an incubator and just like swap them out to make sure the panda babies are getting like enough nourishment so that they can survive because pandas are like super close to extinction. There's only 2000 of them in the world and they like physically can almost never mate. Like pandas only ovulate like six days in the year or something. So it's like a super Mm. short window for them to mate and Pan- I know a lot about pandas. And pan- <laughs> Apparently. Panda penises are like super microscopic. Oh so it's like genuinely difficult for them to breed. So I think that might be what happened in the panda sneezing video where like the baby panda scared the mom because she didn't know that she had to. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. You wanted fun facts? I got them. <laughs> yeah. These are depressing facts. Yeah. I don't know why I only have those today. The smallest bones in the human body are in the ear. There you go. That's not depressing. So fun. You asked for facts. I gave you facts. You told me to tell you something cool, not fun. Almost all koalas have chlamydia. There you go. There's another fun fact. Also true. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is going to be a weird podcast. Um, Okay, so I watched a bunch of shit this week. I watched season two of Umbrella Academy. Okay, yeah. Saw that come out. So I'm sure most most people are aware of what Umbrella Academy is, but in case you're not, it is a Netflix original television show that is based on the original graphic novel by Gerard Way, who was the front man for My Chemical Romance. No fucking way. Yeah. Oh my God. You actually didn't know I that? I had no idea. <laughs> Whoa. See? Fun facts abound. This is a That's day wild. of, this is a day of knowledge. My kind of um, is cool. Yeah, so that's that's what it's that's what it's based on, um, and it's about this like basically a bunch of babies were born on the same. I think it was nineteen eighty nine. Were born on the same day. You know, that's the year I was born. Were sorry. That's the year I was born. Really, I didn't know that. People know my age now. <laughs> I actually never remembered how much older than me you were. I just knew you were like within a couple years of my age, yeah. um, and never thought to ask <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm two years old <laughs> been friends for like eight years just never thought to bring it up anyway um so it's this like tons of babies across the world are born on the same day this weird eclectic scientist believes that they have special powers so he adopts seven of these babies and raises them in what he calls the umbrella academy to try and nurture their gifts and turn them into like a ragtag superhero clan. Yep. And then they grow up, become disenfranchised. One of them dies and they sort of drift apart. But when their father, and this is season one, when their father dies, they all come back together um, for the funeral. Mischief abounds and they end up having to undertake an adventure to prevent the end of the world. The second season picks up exactly where the first season leaves off. Um, And in case people haven't seen it, I don't want to 
explain what that is because it's kind of like mm-hmm. a major cliffhanger. Um, but it picks up immediately where that one leaves off. So if you haven't watched season, season one, it's a great time to binge it because you can just go right into season two. I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it's really fun. And if you like shows like The Boys or, I mean, even Doom Patrol, which I'm not a fan of. But if you like Doom Patrol, you'll probably really like Umbrella Academy. It's sort of a similar vibe. It's very, like, bubblegummy, but still kind of gritty and snarky. It's very snarky, which I love. I don't know. Again, this season also had a rad soundtrack. Like, that's the one thing I will say, whether you like the show or not, the first and second season soundtracks are fucking phenomenal. It's a lot of, like, 80s and 90s pop bangers and, like, a bunch of cover songs. So it's just really entertaining Mm -hmm. for that reason. Um, And then the stars in it are great. Like, Robert Sheehan is in it, who's an excellent Irish actor from the show Misfits. Yeah. Um, He was also in a great show called Love Hate, which I think is still on Netflix. If you want to watch, like, sort of a gritty Irish um, kind of, like, street drama. Actually, Misfits is a pretty similar show to Umbrella Academy. Yeah, Misfits Misfits is a pretty similar show. Awesome show. I love Misfits. Yeah. And actually... Robert Sheehan's character in Misfits has, like, a tangentially related superpower to Robert Sheehan's character, Klaus, in The Umbrella Academy. I forget what his power was in Misfits, actually. He couldn't die. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was just sort of perpetually reincarnated. But yeah, um, Ellen Page is in it as Vanya. Ellen Page, I think everybody knows Ellen Page. She's a phenomenal actor. Mm -hmm. Most people know her from Juno with Michael Cera. She's also in Inception. Um, she was in a favorite film of mine that came out in the early 2000s called uh, Hard Candy. Oh, don't know that one. Oh, Hard Candy is so good. Hard Candy has Patrick Wilson before he was in every like James Wan horror film that ever came out. So it has Patrick Wilson and it's about this like preteen teenage girl played by Ellen Page who is convinced that this guy in his like 30s is a sexual predator and is abducting young girls so she decides to like go out on her own and lure him oh wow to try and get like abducted by him and expose him as like a sexual predator and pedophile um it's it it is a phenomenally tense tense thriller from david slade highly recommend checking it out Umbrella Academy also has Tom Hooper in it. He plays, or Tom Hopper. He plays Luther. He was from Game of Thrones. He played Dick and Tarly. Okay. And then Kate Walsh, most people will recognize she plays the Handler. And she is from, she played Addison Montgomery in Game of Thrones. Or not Game of Thrones, sorry. uh, Grey's Anatomy. Okay. So really, really stacked cast of people like you genuinely will recognize and enjoy. Great character actors in it. Highly recommend season two. It's very similar to season one, but they just kind of build on it and get a little bit more outrageous without fully blowing it out of the water and being ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I struggled with season one, but I also struggled with like Teen Titans and other similar shows. So I'm not too surprised. Yeah. I never finished it, but I I don't have anything bad to say about it. It just didn't. It's one of those shows where I needed it to hook me because I feel like it's more of a fun show. So it's yeah. like, if I'm not having that much fun, then... Well, and that's 
that's the thing. To me, like, it is super fun. The soundtrack really drew me in with Umbrella Academy. Um, that's what got me hooked. But I think the acting is really good. And I the the chemistry between the actors who are playing adoptive siblings is is really fantastic. And that's that's really what I'm watching it for. Like, I, I think I'll stick with this show. I think it'll be genuinely really entertaining. Until it's beaten as a dead horse. I can't imagine it going much further. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Stranger Things. It's like, once I hit season three, hmm. I'm like, I, like, what else can you do at this point? And I think it's going to be a similar thing with the Umbrella Academy, where it's like, I could imagine it going for like four, maybe five seasons. But after that, I think it's just kind of going to have What's true in this, in this day and age? prestige television like shows with seasonal arcs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. don't tend to go more than four or five seasons yeah for sure um um, but yeah so i again i didn't watch anything so but went to the cottage it's a great time and uh i actually i don't really have much to say about them in particular but my brother and his girlfriend are obsessed with board games and so they brought tons of board games and so we just like played a bunch of board games over the cottage. It was great. It's in, it's funny. <laughs> I always thought about this. So it's in the Muskoka's, which is like one of Ontario's like premier places where people yeah. go cottaging. It's the fancy rich people cottaging area. My family loves Ozark, the show. And so oh, Ozark's yeah, is like, like a similar deal, but like somewhere else. So I always thought of like this townies versus us horrible touristy people just barging into your small towns and just being I like, <laughs> we're the cottagers. I can pretty much promise you in the time of Corona that the people who live in the Muskoka's full time do hate you. Yeah. It was great. They absolutely we like, do. Like, going to get, you know, going to get our croissants and going, yeah. to, going to the tourist attractions. It's like, oh God. They're just sitting there like... You're really, like, you city folks are really, like, bringing your plague up here. There's, like, 15 of us that live here year-round. No, Nobody has it here. <laughs> yeah. If you don't if you don't stay in the towns, though, I mean, like, it's a pretty good idea of something you can do during corona times because you can kind of just isolate yourself in a cabin with whoever you want to bring and then... Yeah, I mean, if you, if you bring all your shit with you... If you don't go into you, the towns. Yeah, if you bring all your shit with you, if you bring all your, like, you know, groceries and stuff, sure. True. Because you want to keep the groceries. Yeah. We didn't do that. We bought groceries. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was a great time, and I'm just feeling much more chill and relaxed, but I didn't watch anything during that time. And then it's been a few days since we've got back, and basically I've just continued watching Dark, which I don't want to say much more about because I'm still just trying to finish it. And uh, I don't think I really started much else. I was just watching a bunch of YouTube. Yeah, I'll... I'll get to some other stuff that I want to say, some little stories and stuff, but uh, we can switch back over and talk about more media. Okay. <laughs> I, okay, so I rewatched, I did a rewatch of um, The Strangers Pray at Night. No idea what that is. <laughs> it is a sequel to the horror film The Strangers. Never heard of it. Okay, well, The Strangers came out in 2008. It was directed by Brian Bertino. Um, and it stars, so it stars Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler. Oh. Um, yeah, so Scott Speedman was in a bunch of the Underworld movies. Underworld, yeah. That's pretty much the only thing I know him from. Yeah, he's been in other stuff, but everybody knows him from the Underworld movies. And Liv Tyler, obviously... 
Most people recognize her from Lord of the Rings, played Arwen. Mm-hmm. She was also in um, Empire Records. She was in Armageddon. She's been in tons of stuff. Uh, but it is a very like traditional home invasion style horror. The sequel to The Strangers is called The Strangers Pray at Night. That's what I rewatched. It is a little bit different. Like, it's still very much a home invasion horror, but you're following the same killers, but it's different Is this with, like, the the masked people? Yes, yeah. Okay, I I do know this. For for some reason, I totally forgot it was called The Strangers. Yeah, so the guy with the burlap sack. Yeah, I know you like this one a lot. Yeah, the guy with the burlap sack one, and then the doll face, and then the other one. Yeah, yeah. Um, So this one stars Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. She was also in... um, I'm trying to think. She was in Mad Men. She was in Good Girls, which is a Netflix original show mm-hmm. that is super fun. And it has uh, Martin Henderson, who is in the original Ring. I don't know if you remember, like American remake of the mm-hmm. Ring with um, Naomi Watts. I love, I love the original Ring, but I don't, I don't remember the actors very well. It was more of a story. Yeah, yeah. One from he's he's the dude. Mm-hmm. He was also in Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> and then it's got Bailey Madison, who is in. Uh, don't be afraid of the dark. She was a kid oh. in that, but it's a horror well. movie from like God, probably two thousand four, two thousand six, something like that. And then Lewis Pullman, who was in Bad Times at the El Royale, really, really fun movie. I would say The Strangers, the original, is objectively scarier, whereas The Strangers Pray at Night is kind of more of an action horror. You know, it's it's kind of the difference between the original Halloween and then like the third Halloween or the original like Friday the, th- well, mm-hmm. no, the second Friday the 13th. Cause let's be honest, the original Friday the 13th is trash, but the second Friday the 13th or like the fifth Friday the 13th, you know, where it's become a little bit more hokey. It's a little bit more about those like really intense kills sure. and like super cool action shots. Whereas the original strangers is significantly more about the tension the discomfort, the like fear of your, safe space being invaded or being violated Mm -hmm. the second one takes place in a sort of like camper style area like the trailer homes and people go there for vacation and there's a family that's staying there in the off season and the killers descend and that's basically it so they have the entire run of this campground instead of it taking place in a confined house space it takes place across the entire campground which is very That's cool. interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that as a premise before. Well, it's very similar to Friday the 13th, right? Like, Friday the 13th True. doesn't take place in one cabin. It takes place in the entire yes. campground. So it's yeah. it's a similar vibe, I would say. But in that case, like, they all know each other. They're all, like, in the camp together. Whereas this is a bunch of different homes just in the same area. It's a bunch of different homes, but it's the off-season, so nobody's staying in them. So it's really only the one family that's there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there's still a sense of isolation and, like, lack of structure, which is nice. Phenomenal soundtrack. Again, I love my <laughs> 80s, 90s bops, and that's the entire soundtrack. Like, it's it's very much an homage to 80s-style slasher films. Really, really excellent fight-slash-kill scene that occurs about halfway through the movie. There's a pool in the campground, and there's a whole bunch of, like, neon lights around it and stuff. It's supposed to look kind of, like, motel trashy. So mm-hmm. there's, like, a bunch of, like, neon palm trees and shit. 
which I just adore, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler, is playing in the <laughs> background during this fucking fight and kill scene. So mint, so excellent, just phenomenal choice by the director. And it's it's really, like, fun. It's just a truly fun fight kill scene in a horror movie, and you don't get those a lot. Like, you don't really yeah, get, like, very slasher different films. Nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all about, like, ambiance and tension, which I love. You know I love those horror films. But you don't get that, like, really fun, exciting, over-the-top mm-hmm. kind of kill scenes anymore that you used to get in slasher films in the 80s and 90s. So it's campy and it's it's self-effacing. And I think it's really, really excellent for that reason. Is it a great horror movie? Probably not. Is it objectively, truly entertaining? Absolutely. <laughs> like... If you want to be scared, watch The Strangers. If you want to have fun, watch The Strangers Pray at Night. That's that's all I have to say about it. I mean, this this one is by um, Johan Roberts, I think is the director's name. He did 47 Meters Down, which is also a very fun horror-esque movie if you like killer shark movies. Sure. So speaking of... You're going to like be like, what are you talking about? So... One of the things that happened to me during the cottage trip is I've been I've been struck with a, a bug, and I've been talking about this to especially my brother Jules like this whole time, and I've just just today I decided to just go for it. So there was <laughs> I can't even, I'm not even ready for it. you to be like why. So there was a vinyl record shop at the the town. Okay. And so I visited it like three times over the course of the thing. And I was like looking through their records. Oh my God. Did you finally times. get into vinyl? Yes. <gasps> so I just. Oh, I'm so I excited. Became, I was just like, and, they, and we were talking about this. Yeah. I, why did you I, think I would we, judge you? Because I'm, I'm not really a music person, but for some reason, the idea of vinyl like really does it for me. There's yeah, just something that. way more like it makes you want to commit to the music in a way where I'm, I just usually think of music as a background thing. I kind of hate you for that, but I'm not going to judge you for getting into vinyl. I just don't like you for not appreciating music more. I, okay, this is bad, but I actually think of it sometimes like, cause I love movies. I love books. I love, and I'm like, I can't re- like truly love everything. Certain things in my life have to take a back seat. And I, cause I'm a very obsessed person when I'm into something and I have to like, I have no, I have to be up to date on it and know like all the classics. And I'm like, I look at music and I'm like, I am not into this enough to learn all that. And so I'm just like, okay. I feel like you might need to have a conversation with somebody about that level of obsession. It's like, that's probably not super I Yeah, good. I'm not good at getting into things lightly, but I've always been into music lightly. And so that's thing, but I'm just like. So what'd you get? So I, yeah, I picked up, I'll grab them over here. So I picked up the most basic bitch records. What, like Lana Del Rey? Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, okay. All right. I, do, I mean, it is good. The Oasis album with Wonderwall. Oh, come on. <gasps> I love Oasis. And then... I fucking hate Oasis. My, okay, this, this one I bought because... Uh, this is the only other one I bought. The other I bought some two dollar used ones just to fill up some space and try out more records. But the only other big one I bought was Bastille's first album because they're one of my favorite bands. Okay. And it was one of the first uh, when I was younger. I used to listen to as we all did pop punk stuff like Sum Forty One, 
things like, and I listened to their CDs over and over and over again when I was young. Uh, Linkin Park, things like that. But in the last like 10 years, the only album I listened to more than more than once all the way through was Bastille. And I loved, loved, loved it. So I was like, I've just got to get it. Man, I have so much music I could recommend to you now that I know you're like, like the style of music you're into. Well, no, now that I know the style of music you're into, I actually have like a lot of bands that I know you would like. Yeah, I feel like everyone in my life is going to be doing this to me now. And I have to go through things, but I love it. I love like getting, getting invested in things. See, I create, like, I basically just create most of my stuff as Spotify playlists. Mm-hmm. So if you want to check out new music that's similar sounding to bands you like, because it sounds like I listen to, like, yeah. very similar music to you, just literally follow my Spotify. I just created a new playlist, like, two days ago, and it fucking slaps. It's <laughs> so good. It's it's so good. You'd like it. It's called, um, I'll just send it this to is you. Way, this is the way to sell our podcast. Listen to our Spotify playlist. No, honestly, it's so good. It's, I'm objectively, like, this is the, this is the one I'm most proud of. I've made a bunch of playlists over the course of, like, quarantine, mm-hmm. and this is the one I'm most proud of. Awesome. It's no, yeah, send, send me the links. I'd love to try it some out. Round two, F2020. Sorry, low-key F2020. I don't know what F2020 means. Fuck 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah, got it. I just didn't put I thought it was some sort of, Spotify. some sort of code for something. No. Um, but yeah, I, I... I had an awesome time at this this record store, and it was it was with an antique store too. And I picked up some little some little antique things too for because I'm going to be moving to a new place. And I was like, I cannot live in all IKEA anymore. I need some flavor. I need to like get into the nesting instinct a bit. Like my place, would you also like a weird teddy bear <laughs> with dentures and Barbie arms? No, that that is by far the thing I'm most disturbed at your place and I stare at it all the time and I'm like literally having heart palpitations you should have told me I would have taken it out of the room you were sleeping no 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 it's 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 your taste yeah it just gave me nightmares and I never slept normal that's not true um I'm sorry that my bear that sat on the shelf it's not that scary the bird legs don't help really disturbing (laughs) It'll be up on our Instagram. <laughs> I can post it on the Instagram. I don't think people will. I, I, there's no description I can give this bear that would accurately make people understand how weird it is. <laughs> but I bought it from a horror festival in Toronto a few years ago, and I love it. Oh, yeah. Okay, back to my turn. <laughs> back to me back to me talking about media which is what this podcast is supposed to be about music is media true okay fair i'll give you that okay so i watched the rental okay do i know this one i don't know just came out this year probably not don't ask me how i watched it because i won't admit <laughs> to anything but, so it, <laughs> the, uh, the Canadian FBI is investigating this. The, I love that you say the Canadian FBI and don't know the name of CSIS. No. <laughs> but, oh, I guess so it's, so it's an all-in-one agency for us. Because mm-hmm. I know CSIS is our CIA. CSIS is our investigative unit, I guess. Like, we don't have a separation mm-hmm. between international and in-country. Domestic. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. I was about to say. I was about to say democratic, and I was like, I know it's a D, but it's not democratic. 
But yeah, it would either be the Mounties or CSIS. Anyway, moving on. Fun fact about Canada. <laughs> Which is our, our Canadiana podcast over here. Hey. <laughs> well, it's either that or I tell you more about pandas and their mating problems. <laughs> um, no, we gotta, we gotta stick to beavers. Moose. Meese. Meeses. The many meeses. The Canadian geeses. Oh, that's true. That's what you see a lot of. Oh, God, I fucking hate them so you much. You never see beavers or moose, really. Like, unless you're, like, really in the wilderness no. in Canada. But you I've see seen... geese all the time. I've seen one moose. I've seen a bear once. Mm. I've seen many of those mountain goats with the spirally horns when I was <gasps> out in BC. I've never seen one of those. When I was in BC, so I saw so many Oh, of that's them. so cool. They'd be, like, on the side of the highway, just headbutting. Like just, oh, yeah. like, fighting each other. That's You're life. like, that's want to make sure I don't drive into you, bud. Can you, like, move over a wee bit? Yeah. Avicii saw that, decided this is my whole career. <laughs> so moving on. The Rental 2020. It is the directorial debut of Dave Franco. Oh, your, no. Your secret boyfriend. <laughs> he is, okay. He is objectively, like, 11 out of 10 hot. Like, there's something about that guy. He, so I will agree he is attractive. And the fact that he is funny definitely, like, makes him more attractive to me. But there's something about him that just looks like he would be really fucking irritating in real life for some reason. I don't want him to be. He's never going to listen to this, so, like, I'm not worried about offending him. But I don't want him to be irritating, but he just looks like he has a punchable face. I don't know. Yeah. And, I mean, like, I'm obviously more of a James Franco lover, but, like, he's old now. So. I mean, that's not the reason why you shouldn't love James Franco. The fact that he's predatory with 16-year-old girls is the reason well, you yeah, shouldn't obviously. love Dave Franco. Yeah, and then all this. And then, yeah, I also love Jared Leto, and he's, like, become a mess. Jared Leto has a cult. Everyone yes. say it with me. Jared Leto started a real legitimate cult and pretends it's a joke. But everybody who goes to that weird fucked up island <laughs> calls him a prophet and pretend or acts like he's fucking Jesus. And he charges them thousands of dollars. Jared Leto is a cult leader. And we were going to name our podcast off one of his movies. Yeah, but it's such a good name, though. <laughs> it's so good. It figure out, so figure it good. out yourself. It the person who sends it in gets gets a heart, gets a like. Yeah, you don't get anything else. We have no money. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, clearly you're not getting money. Yeah, you're not you're not getting any kind of like physical prize. You get a loony. Oh my god, can't use it anywhere. Okay, so anyway, Dave Ringo's directorial debut. He also co-wrote it. Essentially, the plot like the plot is very pretty basic. Like it's it's a pretty standard plot, but it's it's two couples rent a vacation home for like a weekend and essentially the movie is a home invasion horror so it's like similar to the original strangers i would say it has like semi strangers vibes it also kind of reminded me of the movie 13 cameras and uh the canadian movie my little eye which has a similar vibe these are all over my head deep cuts 13 cameras yeah. is on netflix another one of our titles <laughs> um yeah 13 cameras is on netflix if you want to watch it it's a it's a it's honestly a better horror movie than the rental if i'm being if i'm being completely objective here it is a better horror movie it has more depth of character it has a lot more range to it it has a more interesting plot but it's pretty similar to the rental but they're essentially in this really fancy Airbnb. The guy that's renting it to them is kind of a weirdo and definitely a racist. And weird shit starts happening. 
And it turns out they're being, like, watched while they're in this house. Oh, and it goes from there. okay. Yeah, so there's sort of a voyeuristic kind of feel to it, which yeah. it automatically makes you feel uneasy. It's, like, the biggest reason why I never rent Airbnbs is that I'm afraid somebody's got hidden cameras in there. So, yeah, so so for that reason, it does have, like, a good amount of tension. And the cast is stacked. Like, I will say the cast is phenomenal. It has Dan Stevens in it, who I absolutely adore. Um, he plays a character named Charlie. Dan Stevens... Honestly, I would say you're more like, like, most people are most likely to recognize him from the live action Beauty and the Beast. He played the Beast. Okay. And Downton Abbey. Um, so I think most people recognize him from that. He was also in a phenomenal, truly fantastic movie called The Guest that came out in 2014. Um, and it's sort of like 70s grindhouse action revenge thriller. Oh really really phenomenal uh it's by adam wingard who also did vhs and your next which are two also truly phenomenal horror films very very different this is lydia's indie movie hor- like corner because it's like i have never heard of any of this <laughs> uh your next your next is really cool your next has reminds me sort of vibe wise of something like ready or not which is a newer movie that Mm -hmm. has um, do you know that one yeah so that's that it's similar vibes to ready or not i would say your next is probably a little better but ready or not is more fun vhs is a truly interesting weird indie anthology horror Ooh, i like this so it's it's little like essentially different types of creepy short films i truly recommend it very weird movie um there's like i think there's two or three of them and they're all uncomfortable but really excellent cool um yeah so highly recommend the guest which is what i first saw dan stevens in uh the movie also has allison brie a lot of people will know her from community Mm -hmm. we obviously love her from horse girl yep very excellent, very strange, ethereal thriller. She also, she also plays the one of the main characters of Bojack Horseman, actually. Yes, she does. And then it has Sheila Vand as Mina. She was in another really excellent indie horror film called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's from 2014, and it is described as the first Iranian vampire western. Well, yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. So it is an American movie, but it's, it's you know, Iranian characters. The movie's predominantly, if not totally, in black and white. It is very weird. I saw it at um, TADIF, Toronto After Dark Film Festival, which is an all-horror movie film festival that takes in horror movie premieres from around the world. Really weird. Definitely recommend checking it out if you like horror um, and then finally, it has Jeremy Allen White in it, who most people recognize from Shameless. Uh, he plays Lip Gallagher in Shameless. Okay. And he is also in the Amazon Prime original show Homecoming, which is based off of the original podcast. Right. Definitely recommend the podcast Homecoming. Has super, super excellent cast in it. The podcast is far superior to the Amazon Prime show. Mm-hmm. Overall, the rental is decent. Like, I would say it's it's a solid 6 out of 10. Um, it's worth checking out, especially if you're not, like, super familiar with the home invasion kind of style of horror thrillers. Um, if you haven't seen too many of them, you might enjoy it. Uh, if you are, like me, quite familiar with home invasion thriller horror movies, um, 
it's it's not going to top your list. But it's worth mm. watching. The actors are really good. And my biggest complaint was like the whole setup for this dude who's supposed to be the killer seems like overtly complicated because like these are Airbnbs. So he's going in and renting an Airbnb to set up all his cameras. And then he's like waiting for somebody else to rent the Airbnb so he can watch them and then murder them. And I'm like, and then he has to what? Go in and like take out all the cameras and then go to another Airbnb. Like it just seems mm, like a true. lot of effort. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I get the methodicalness of like a serial killer, but like I've never heard of a serial killer who is like this level of meticulous. It just seems like way more work than you need to put into like murdering somebody. Yeah. That's my one complaint. I know that seems like a dumb complaint, but like it's just <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work. Uh I was thinking of just wrapping up mine with the one piece media because we watched this at the very end of my trip with you, and that's how we got it in. But was a movie I really wanted to watch called Straight Up, which is about uh let's just well, uh, a guy who's questioning his sexuality but has always seen himself as gay, and he's on the spectrum in some subcapacity, or maybe not the spectrum, but he he has maybe some kind of OCD or or something um, that isn't just anxiety, depression. It's some he's, other. He's thing. not neurotypical. Yeah, would be the easiest way to describe it. And so he uh, he he's talking to his therapist. And he's thinking that maybe he should explore his straight side. He meets a girl who he's really really vibes with, and I just absolutely loved these initial scenes between them and just their back and forth really, really grabbed me. And I really, I don't know, it just was very enchanting to me, but um, I won't say how the movie goes on from there, but I just, the actual plot and where it ends up, I, in the end, it just, it didn't stick with me. Like really, I just like those initial scenes and now like being about a week or two away from it, I'm like, I'm not really going to remember this movie. I just really thought those initial conversations that they had was a great vibe. Just like a really, I'm into this thing. But it, it felt like a good episode of a television show more than anything else. It felt like whoever, like the woman who wrote and created Gilmore Girls wrote this movie. Like all of They're the conversations very fast felt talkers. like that. Yeah. yeah. And just like the sarcasm, the level of intellect, the like thought provoking yeah. deep conversations that there were, like it all just felt very like Rory Gilmore-esque. Um, and I'm not saying people can't talk like that. People can't be fast talkers. They can't be intelligent. They can't name drop a bunch of authors that they're interested in or whatever the fuck. Like, people do the pseudo-intellect thing all the time. It just doesn't... It always comes across as Gilmore Girls to me when I see it in a movie or a TV show. Hmm. I definitely see the comparison. I was never a Gilmore's Girl person, which is kind of weird considering, like, the premise of it and whatnot. Fucking love Gilmore Girls. And and I, yeah, I don't I don't really know what it was it just it that show never connected with me but i definitely have a huge weakness for like any movie where gay characters are being gay watch i i you know you watch a lot of like ho- like pretty much all horror movies anything that has a gay character in it i'll watch eventually i just this one was just really enchanting to me and it's definitely better than a lot of other like b tier or you right. know, uh, gay movies i've seen so just like it i don't know it really spoke to me and uh, to me it spoke to uh, the moment a bit too like the way they talk about certain things felt very contemporary mm. but as a movie it just does not go anywhere in my opinion looking back on it now i'm like oh that's sort of sad still i had a great time but that's it that's my list for today do we have time for me to do one more i have one sure. more okay 
So uh, this just popped up on Canadian Netflix. I don't know if it's on American Netflix or not, but I watched uh, We Summon the Darkness, which is a movie oh, yeah. from 2019. Which I, re- I, uh, I was like, let's watch it for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh. Yeah, very awkwardly. Problem. I'm like, mm, I already watched it. <laughs> Literally like four days ago. I thought about saving it for us to watch, but then I was like, this is like really hokey and like campy looking. I don't think he'd want to watch it. Lo and mm. behold, you wanted to fucking watch it. Well, I just thought it would be a suggestion that you'd be into and it seemed fun. Yeah. Um, so this one, We Summon the Darkness, 2019. It was directed by Mark Myers, who did do uh he has done some good movies, and one that I will mention is My Friend Dahmer, which was from 2017. Oh. It is based off of a graphic novel and the graphic the same novel, name. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially about a young Jeffrey Dahmer when he is first starting to sort of identify his obscene proclivities um, <laughs> and is becoming obsessed with uh, a young boy in his neighborhood. Yeah. This Gave We Summon Darkness. Yeah. The one fun thing that I will say about We Summon the Darkness, it was filmed in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Filmed in Canada. Oh. So that's cool. That's cool. They probably had, what, one location? Yeah, basically. It's pretty much like on this one road in Winnipeg, but it stars uh, Alexandria or Alexandra Daddario, who is in Baywatch, and she was also the like female lead in the Percy Jackson movies. Sure. Lightning Thief, and then it has Amy Forsyth, who you will know. She was. Um, I recognize the name. She was the main this. character in the season of Channel Zero that we like, No End House. Okay. Yeah, she was the main girl with the dad, and yeah. She was also in the movie Hellfest, which is a truly mediocre slasher film (laughs) that takes place at a Halloween theme theme park. Really, really shitty. Like, just disappointingly bad. But it also has Bex Taylor in it, who is fucking great. I love Bex Taylor. And then Kean Johnson, who is from Euphoria, the TV show, uh, with Zendaya. And then Maddie Hassan, who is in an excellent TV show, Mr. Mercedes, based off the Stephen King novel. Highly recommend oh, that's, that. That's a TV show? Mr. Mercedes is a TV show. It has okay. three seasons based around the three books, because it's it's a trilogy yeah, of yeah. books. Um, and it stars I, not re- Brendan... I thought that was still coming out later. Wow. Yeah, no, it's out. Uh, it stars Brandon Gleeson, who uh, is a truly excellent Irish actor, played Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies sure yeah uh, he was also in in Love bruges him. really great Colin mm-hmm. Farrell film. great movie yeah um and like this movie was fine like it was it was like it was okay it was fun um but it's it's kind of like if you've ever seen detroit rock city it's kind of like detroit rock city but if the guys all got murdered by a cult instead of okay but detroit kiss. rock city is awesome detroit rock city is fucking fire but this is like detroit rock city's mediocre satanic cult brother that's what this movie is. Um, and basically, like, the plot of it is there's been a whole bunch of satanic murders in and around this, like, county that they're supposed to be in. Like, they're supposed to be in this small county in, like, Ohio, I think. There's been a bunch of uh, murders attributed to satanic cults, and they all seemingly happen shortly after or immediately after. A D&D game is played. No, but there isn't a hilarious movie like that. Uh, no, but they happen shortly after or during a um heavy metal rock concert so it's said oh, the 80s that, theme, that satanicness yeah <laughs> one of your two satanic choices yeah it's either D, especially in the 80s it's either D or heavy metal 
Those are your only yeah. options. But yeah, so this this takes place in like the 80s and yeah, these satanic murders are happening. So it's basically supposed to be set right at the height of the satanic panic. But if the satanic panic occurred during a time where there was actually a bunch of murders attributed to satanic cults. Here's my controversial opinion though. Detroit Rock City better than Almost Famous. That is a controversial opinion, but I don't disagree with you. Obviously, Almost Famous is probably a better movie, but, like, it's so boring. Oh, my God. Almost Famous. So, like, there are aspects that I love to Almost Famous. I love Billy Crudup in Almost Famous. I think he's great. I think he's a fox with that mustache. I'm here for it. (laughs) I love Patrick Fugit as a teenager. I I had such a crush on him when I was, like, 15. I thought he was precious, and he was wonderful in the movie Saved. But that movie takes itself so seriously that it kind of sucks the fun out of all of the fun scenes. Mm -hmm. Whereas Detroit Rock City, there isn't a moment when it takes itself seriously. And I just, I just really miss, I miss the days when he was thriving. The man's a mess (laughs) now. Hold on, let me find him. Eddie Furlong. Eddie Furlong. He is a fucking disaster now. That man, (laughs) I mean childhood being a child actor really fucked him up because he's like beyond Macaulay Culkin in the early 2000s level of bad like the man is not doing well mm-hmm. and he was truly hysterically funny in Detroit Rock City that movie was objectively excellent oh, I forgot Sam Huntington was in that movie I forgot Lynn Shay was in that movie Lynn Shay <laughs> plays the psychic in the Insidious movies Oh, oh. Right? Yeah. She's amazing. Love her. Excellent. We stan. Oh, 100%. But yeah, overall, Detroit Rock City, if you have never seen it, and if you like The Dirt, the Motley Crue movie, you know, if you like any of that heavy metal aesthetic, you will fucking die for Detroit Rock City. It is super funny. Really, really, like, wacky. It's, It's the classic road trip shtick movie. Yeah. Very entertaining. Great soundtrack. They make fun of sticks really hard and then they play Come Sail Away in this like ridiculous scene in a convenience store and it is so funny. <laughs> um unfortunately we have to get to the movie we watched today. <sighs> the only part of this I don't actually care to talk about. <laughs> Yeah. It's terrible. There's so much, like, I'm just enjoying all of these other side conversations about media, and now we have to talk yeah. about this fucking movie. It, yeah. I guess we'll say this, because I've already said it, but it's like, so we watched Fahrenheit 451. Did we even say it at any point? Have we said no. the title until now? No. We're really bad at this. It's, I mean, you can see it in the, you, you know, I you know, know what you clicked on, people. I know. You know what you're getting. Uh, yeah. I liked the book, it's not my favorite book, but I, I it, it is a sci-fi book I liked. Ray Bradbury. And so I was curious to see how this how this movie went. I'm not sure why I never picked it up before. Like, because I've seen the thumbnail a bunch. But there's, it, it you know, that HBO stamp and whatnot, it always gave me a, like, not real movie vibe. And for some reason, I was always hesitant about it. I just thought... Um, even though it has Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. I didn't see Michael Shannon in it, but it's like... The people on the posters are famous people. It looks pretentious. The poster, that's the thing. I looked at the poster or the, like, clip or whatever, the little, like, image, the thumbnail that they show you on on Crave, and it just looks fucking pretentious. And the fact that HBO put it out makes it seem more pretentious somehow. I don't know why, but it does. But yeah, 
So, movie came out in 2018. It is based on the Ray Bradbury novel from 1953. I just want to throw down some quick facts. Yep. It is directed by Raman Barani. He did the movie 99 Homes, which is an objectively mediocre film about the 2008 housing bubble crash and how it affected this one dude played by Andrew Garfield and his boss played by oh, Michael Garfield, Shannon. Yeah. Michael Shannon is like the most disappointing actor of the 2000s. <laughs> I mean, what? admittedly, like he did Spider-Man and then like when that failed, it was just like, I have no career. I think he was the most memorable part of The Shape of Water, but I think the movie did not deserve the Oscar. I thought we were talking about Andrew Garfield. Who is he in The oh, Shape of Water? Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Michael Shannon. No, no, no. Michael Shannon is a phenomenal character actor that has been yeah. in like a hundred things. He is truly excellent. No, Michael Shannon, I fucking love. Michael Shannon was in Knives Out, Shape of Water, 99 Homes by the same guy who directed this, which is Oh, pretty... no, he's so cute in Knives Out. He's not evil. He's cute in Knives Out. He's not a good person in Knives Out. Like, did we watch no. the same movie? He is a bad guy. By the end of it, like, he's an objectively selfish, rude, and cruel person. He was also, though, in the excellent miniseries Waco, Oh, yes. About Waco. Oh. That had Taylor Kitsch in it. He was phenomenal in that. Oh, my God. And a good person. And that, he was a good guy. That one, he was a good guy. Um, during, during watching the movie, we were making fun of how Michael Shannon almost always plays a bad guy in his movies, yeah. which is true. He does. He's either a dirty cop or, like, a gangster or a criminal. But there are the occasional times where he doesn't play a bad guy. Waco is one time where I he I think played. Waco, because oh. now that I'm, like, a month or two away from it, I feel like it has some of the best acting on television that I've seen in a long time. Like, so many powerful characters the in that. Like, just iconic. Sheer, like, the shock. And I cannot, I cannot tell you how shocked I was at how supremely phenomenal Taylor Kitsch was as David Crush. I mean, yeah. the physical transformation... The the actual embodiment of that character. He was so good. And this is a guy who was, like, from fucking Friday Night Lights and, like, that really shitty Wolverine movie playing Gambit. Like, he, he <laughs> was not in anything really notably good before this. Just supreme. He was so, so good. And then, of course, yeah. you've got Rory Culkin, who is an excellent actor. One of the better Culkin. I mean, they're all great. Macaulay's a great who, actor. Who Kieran's a great actor. He plays the young one who marries the girl. He he was okay in it, but honestly, I the, thought he this, was great the, in it. Yeah, this. But well, I just mean because it's like surrounded by all these amazing ones. The one that I didn't think that much of until he had his like breakdown scene, but was the um. You'll have to help me with the actor's name, or whatever. But the guy, the the military leader. So you know how so they the FBI is sort of three oh, yeah, I know three people. So he's like yeah, sort yeah, of the, yeah. the military side leader, and he's like all the way through. He's like, we gotta we gotta get in there, we gotta do this stuff. But when one of his plans goes goes wrong, Shay Wingham, I was like his transformation in that scene blew my mind. At the end, when he's like under that bus, yes. Oh my god! No, I know. Also, kind of attractive. I'm not gonna lie. He's, he's not bad. He's not bad looking. Uh, but yeah, Rory Culkin played David Thibodeau. Yes. The Thibodeau. 
Paul Sparks was also excellent as like Steve Schneider, the David Koresh's right hand man guy, who's like on the phone, basically yes, sobbing near the end. He was really, yeah, really great. He's solid. But yeah, Taylor Kitsch is the one that blew me away. You know, because like Shay Wingham, I've seen in other stuff. He's great. Um, Paul Sparks, I've seen in other stuff. Like they're pretty well known character actors. They've been in a lot of things. Rory Culkin, I know, is like a decent actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Taylor Kitsch has been in a lot of shitty or like mediocre things like Friday Night Lights, which is a good show, but it's a teen soap opera show. And and then he just does this and blows it out of the water, like just totally destroys. He was so good. Everyone should watch Waco. It is also on Netflix. Everything's on Netflix. Getting back to Fahrenheit, though. Oh, God, the only thing I don't want to talk about. <laughs> Honestly, okay. The movie is looks okay and everything like that. I just feel like it doesn't, it did not cohere its vision at all. Like what it wanted to do is completely. No, I agree. Missed to me. And that's, I think that's because of the thing I said right at the beginning with this, the political messaging is so confused because they're taking stuff from the book and then they're trying to update and apply it to modern day stuff or like how things work in the modern day. So for example, in the book, they never talk about this. But so the premise is they burn all books in America. There's a new government and they burn all books and people live thinking that this is a good thing uh, and that uh, books have just caused all the chaos in the world or, or have caused a lot of the chaos in the world from competing ideas, which of course is true. Books have caused chaos through competing ideas, but we tend to think censorship's a terrible thing and that's not the route to go. Uh, they're going the exact opposite direction that ignorance is bliss is the whole philosophy. But like one big change that I was mentioning was that in the books, from what I remember, people are distracted and watching stuff all the time. They're watching these weird shows on these walls. Like every wall has these shows, which you see in in the sh- in the movie a bit, where the buildings will have the show, but the show is just yeah, watching firefighters of. burn stuff. And that is true. You do watch the news in the book and do see them doing that. Yeah. But they also just watch random entertainment and they always, they had these things called seashells in their ears and they were basically earbuds, but before earbuds were a thing and they would just listen to stuff all the time and do, distracted. Okay. So you do sort of see that because you see all of these people with VR headsets on all the time. Really? I didn't, yeah, you didn't that. notice that. Yeah. So no. when he's in lobbies of buildings, when he was on the subway, there were people like wealthier oh people. So not the eels, not the like rebels, yeah, yeah. but the wealthy had these VR headsets on pretty much everywhere they went. So you don't know oh when my, they're watching sorry. Yeah, on that's, it, but that's they do have the VR part. headsets on. But it's but again, because you can't see what they're watching, you don't know if they're watching entertainment, if they're just looking at messages or scrolling on the internet. Like you don't know what they're doing with the VR headsets. You just know they have yeah. them on. This is true too. The, the the drugs. So they do eye drops. I think that was the same in the book that it was eye drops. Because I don't know why they would change that. Like it's like because no. why would you bring in eye drops today? Like it's a random thing. But yeah, you're, you're on these drugs. So a lot of people talk about this trifecta of dystopian books from that era, which was Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, and 1984. And I do think they have such interesting views of the world, but I think in our current political climate, the use of those is so broad spectrum. Both sides, like both the left and the right and everywhere in between, use them for different to say different things. And I just don't think they apply very well anymore to today's Mm -hmm. situations. Yeah. And so I think when you're making a movie like this, it becomes very confused because they're like saying like, 
oh, we're using emojis now and everyone has become dumb. Like, I remember, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah, that tech companies predicted how people would react to things and they yes. eventually became the ministry that controlled people. And it seemed to be this thing where they were, you know, predict doing these prediction algorithms and getting people to just watch random bad stuff and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, that's like happening today. But I also just feel like, is that the ministry? Like this governmental agency that controls everything? Like that story? I don't know. Like, I don't know who wrote this and are thinking that this is the real situation. They didn't invest enough in that sort like they were gonna bring that in if they were gonna bring it in that like during the second civil war in america yeah tech giant companies had already developed a software that predicted to predict thought specifically is what it is what they said right. in the movie if they were going to do that and then the tech companies either are enveloped by the ministry or the ministry joins them they should have delved deeper into that because it feels very much like like a really similar conversation that you could have would be something like Minority Report, which is essentially the same idea where there is a software ignoring the precogs in Minority Report. There's a type of software that allows them to predict crime before it happens, and then the police start arresting people for what they call pre-crimes. And that's kind of a similar idea as what they're doing here, but they didn't bother fleshing it out yeah. in Fahrenheit 451. So it was just like here's a thing that's gross and like in America constitutionally wrong. Like you shouldn't be, you know, arresting people for crimes that they haven't committed yet or whatever it is, but they didn't delve into it. They didn't do anything with that. It was just this throwaway line of like, look at this like dystopian software that's to control human thought. And now we're going to go a step further and like burn language. And it's like, yeah. I guess. So, Again, I'm getting a little bit mixed up with the book here, but I, so I'm trying. I don't know if I'm mapping too much onto the characters in the show or in the movie. But Michael Shannon's character, who is Guy Montag, played by Michael B. Jordan, the main character, yes, his superior, his captain of his captain fire Beatty. squad. Um, so Captain Beatty or Beatty? Beatty, 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 like he, Warren Beatty. I'm trying to think, like, what was his character trying to say, right? So what he did, what he would he would write down little quotes from books or little like writings on these tiny slips of paper and then burn them. And it felt to me like he found reading to be like a drug that he had an extreme desire to connect to these books, but that he then wished it away. He's kind of like one of those self-flagellator priest types or whatever. He's yeah. like a very dirty thing to do. And so he's like, guy Montag, you've got to like, I know you have the desire to, but you've got to come with me on my side of like, we're going to be firefight, like burners of books but Guy's character is following a different journey. And I don't think it was well portrayed, like, at all. Where I he agree. was discovering literature and being like, no, this is important. He kind of just hears some quotes and he's like, mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, he's like, I, like okay. I, I read I one page from Dostoevsky and now I'm, like, jizzing for literature. And it's like, I guess. But he, and it didn't, like, I didn't see that transformation in him happen. No. No, there's, like, one little montage of him with Clarice, yeah. who is sort of, like, the rebel character, played by um, Sophia Butella from Atomic Blonde, and 
It's like, there's this one montage, but it really felt more like an exposition scene that they did to, like, establish a romance narrative than to actually establish that he's, yeah, exactly. like, learning to rebel against this, like, thought control. You know? So it's like, they didn't they yeah. didn't flesh out any piece of it. Like, they kept bringing, th- they brought the drugs in, but they don't actually flesh out totally what the drugs are for. Like, you sort of understand that the drugs kind of erase long-term memory so that people can't remember a time before books were burned but they don't really go into it much and then like they sort of explain that something happened with guy's father back when he was a firefighter when guy was a child but they don't really flesh that out like it seems like guy's father might have been some kind of a rebel as well and also read books and might have been killed for that but they don't explain it And then they've turned his father into this, like, martyr for the cause and tell everyone that he died as a firefighter burning books. So you don't really understand that journey. Honestly, this makes me just really want, and I was thinking about The Handmaid's Tale show too, which is very excellent. But I also think there, all these books came out so long ago. And I feel like we really need a new... Well, Handmaid's Tale, not so much. Well, it's like 80s, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. But know, Margaret Atwood's written so many dystopian books. But um, there's so many of these dystopian visions. And I just, I feel like we need a fresh one because I feel like the situation has really changed. And this, taking a 1950s book and updating it, like it just didn't, it didn't feel fresh at all to me. It didn't feel fresh. It didn't feel relevant. It didn't no, I agree. connect to things. Uh, but I do really like the idea of dystopias and like that we're, you know, right now we're in a situation where we might be looking at a dystopia in the future. So I'd really love a new visionary to give us a good vision. And yes, there's Hunger Games and like all its spinoffs, but those are a little hokier and like are a far, they're far future dystopias. They don't really explain what happened to change America today or, you know, North America today into a dystopia, right? Whereas Handmaid's Tale gives that explanation. 1984 gets close to giving the explanation. The Purge. True. The purge is pretty good. <laughs> like that will forever be like what I lift up as like a modern day version of dystopia because it's very politically based. I won't get too into it. I won't go on another rant, but I'm just saying like the purge is the answer to your question. Um, but I understand what you mean. And I think it's difficult to like, not that literature isn't important today. Of course, literature is important today, but all the books that they're portraying in this movie, save for Harry Potter, Mm-hmm. All of the books that they're showing being burned in this are, movie. Yeah, uber Western canon. Yeah, classics. and they're books that would have been, that are probably the books would that would have been mentioned by Ray Bradbury in the original novel, because the mm-hmm. novel came out in 1953, and these are all novels that came out before 1953. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying none of them are important. Of course they are. Catcher in the Rye is a great book. Like, all of these books are great books. But... When most people think of, like, banned books or book burning, they're not going like, oh, yes, Oedipus, the king, can't mm-hmm. live without that. I'm not saying you're wrong to say you shouldn't burn Oedipus, the king, or the Grapes of Wrath. I'm just saying, like, there are more modern books that you pro- like that most people would recognize and would probably expect to see in a film like this if you're going to modernize it and make it look like fucking Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it just seems weird that they're only showing books that were written between, like, you know, the 1800s and the 1950s. Yeah. Other than Harry Potter. 
the only modern book you see though is Harry Potter. That's it. That's the only one you see. They do um they do mention Harry, which I'm pretty sure is not in the original book, but where um th- this is a clinical problem that that some people in the world um choose to memorize a book in order to like keep the memory of books on and two of them that are mentioned is a Tony Motor Tony Morrison book and a James Baldwin book and I don't think those were mentioned in the original and I don't think they were writing maybe James Baldwin but I don't think Tony Tony Morrison wrote until the 60s 70s ish Again, I'm not saying books from the 60s and 70s aren't important, but this book is objectively set in, like, the near future. So you think there would be more mention of books from, like... Yeah. Well, uh, all, all I'm commenting on is, yeah, is that they aren't, they aren't the exact list that he used in the yeah. original book, because some of them were printed after. Right. Even though they're no, still, like, now classics. Yeah. And I get it. Like, of course, you should mention some classics when you're talking about, like, a dystopian future where you burn books. Of course, you're going to mention, like, classic art, classic literature, classic music. But, like, you'd think there'd be a few fucking modern classics in there. I do think, yeah, I do think it's a complicated thing, too, because in the original book, and even now with the VR headsets, they still have entertainment. And 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 in the book, entertainment was a big distraction, a big thing that people used to, to... to um stay sort of happy with their situation or whatever so uh, ray bradbury i think really was like a defender of the western canon type thing he's saying like good books need to be defended and these distracting things i think he really was saying that people are too distracted by bad media Uh, but this really didn't give i mean they, they gave a little bit of that in it in the thing with the mochi stuff but it's it was it's just weird. I don't know the messaging. It just didn't work for me. It's the same argument people make when it's like, get off your phone and read a book sometime, like that kind yeah. of shit. You know, it's the same argument that people make for that. Which, like, you know what? If you're gonna modernize something like that, I would I would have expected it to be more like no one is allowed to have the internet because it's poisoning our minds. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, don't make it book burning and movie burning. Make it like. Fucking, you're not allowed to have an Ethernet cable in your apartment. Yeah, well, that's and you know that's the Chinese censorship access. model. Yeah, like that sounds more realistic to a modern day dystopian than like no books allowed. You know what I mean? Like, who's gonna give a shit about a book from like 300 years ago when people literally have access to the fucking internet, and they don't explain whether or not the internet's been censored or how they got books no. off the internet. And they say that like there's that all recently all they've been burning is digital books. Like, they haven't even, most firefighters haven't even seen physical books, which was so sort like, of an absurd premise, because then you see millions of them in the course I of know, the... I know, you see so many books. But, like, why would you not just ban the internet? Like, why would that not be the whole battle of this? Like, don't... I get I get it. Like, it's it's a lot more visceral to show book burning. Like, people have a Wait, very, it's not like, the premise of the original book. The internet wasn't invented until 40 years later, so... No, I know, but they already modernized it anyway. Yeah. Like, at least modernize it in a way that would make sense for a modern audience. You know? Cause to, yeah, like, they try to say digital books. Yeah, I guess. But, like, you're not seeing them burn fucking Kobe e-readers. You know? Like... Well, they did smash a server. They smashed one server at one point for five seconds, like, 15 yeah. minutes into the fucking movie. And then everything else you saw was, like, libraries worth of books that, like, Trinity College would fucking envy. It's <laughs> insane. 
Like, it doesn't make any sense. People haven't seen books in decades, and somehow some bitch in a barn got, like, 800 copies of shit? Like, how? How'd you even get them to the barn without anyone noticing you were carting illegal books? It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. It. The other thing that bothered me was in this, like, near-future dystopia. There's a scene where he's running, trying to, like, get away from the firefighters, and there's no surveillance in this city. As fucking if this dystopian universe in, like, with the modern day technology we have, there'd be one fucking drone flying around trying to find this dude. It's like, how are there not cameras everywhere? There are cameras everywhere in, in London. There are cameras everywhere in Hong Kong. In what world would America not have adopted the same model if this is the dystopia we're talking about? It makes no sense to me that there's just, like, one fucking drone floating around with a camera on it and no other surveillance. In a city where all of the buildings are giant screens that showcase, like, the news every night. Yeah. Thinking about other dystopians, too. Actually, another one... I Oh, no, it is a book, too. I never read the book, though. But um, another movie that I really like as dystopia is actually uh, Children of Men, I think is a really mm, interesting yeah. contemporary... Clive Owen. One, it just, it has some really cool messaging and I love, like, I think it's a sort of obvious thing when you're watching the movie, but like, I just like stating it a lot that it's like, it's a movie that the central story you watch, like sort of close up on the characters and it's just kind of a, I don't know, like a spy thriller type thing, Mm. but it's all about the backgrounds. There's so many wide shots and so much is happening in the backgrounds. You see the dystopian world always in the background, but they rarely really interact with it only in a few scenes do they really interact with things but always in the back of scenes there's graffiti there are refugees there are cages there are all this stuff happening and that's a really cool way to portray like a dystopian world yeah it was a very well filmed film yeah like i think the words if I think if they were going to go, like, the route that they did with the type of dystopia that they were displaying, first of all, it doesn't make sense why they would have this much technology that, like, the, like, plebs are allowed to access, but whatever. Um, (laughs) But, like, if you're going to go to that degree, like, you've got to go Blade Runner level. You know what I mean? Like, you have to go over bloated cities, super industrial, hyper modern technology everywhere, like giant big screens on the buildings. Like you can't have these clean cities that look like a regular everyday city current time, but the building, like the glass windows on the buildings happen to be giant TV screens. Like it's just, it. you can't have both. You can't have it look like a regular city and have like one piece of technology. It's weird. And, but, and you know what you're saying? I didn't think of this before, but like, the movie is kind of filmed like a, a miniseries in that there isn't a lot of big extras scenes. It's, it's, it's very much like a nice, like a well, like a prestige television where it's like this, the actors are very good and the scenes are very good, but it's all with just a few characters doing stuff in a, in a room or in a yeah. small outdoor area, right? You never get that expansive cinematic effect. So it's also yeah. just a disappointing movie from, like, a movie-esque perspective. I agree. It's filmed like a miniseries, but it's a full-length The movie, camera is, is not very interesting at all. The fire effect is mediocre. When it's just coming out of the flamethrower, it's fine. But when you see, like, large-scale fires, it, it looks pretty shitty. Well, especially when, like, for example, when, the, when, someone, when, when people are actually on fire in it, I think it's, like, very fake feeling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Back in the 80s, they used to just put you in flame-retardant clothing, <laughs> clothing and just fucking 
set you on fire. Like, just yeet you right into a fucking bonfire and call it a day. <laughs> oh, but I think I think that's all I have to say about the movie. It's just, it's honestly just not good. I agree. The Okay, I have one more point to make about this technology and then I'll stop talking about it. It's just, it's so inconsistent. The level of futuristic technology they give you is so inconsistent that I found it frustrating. But throughout the movie, basically to do anything, you have to use your fingerprint. Like you yes. have to use a biometric, which is pretty accurate. They're doing that already in, in Beijing and Hong Kong, except your biometric is your face. Um, so anywhere you go, you want to make purchases, you want to like go on the subway or the like metro, whatever they call it there, um, you use your face to make payments. You use your face to as a ticket, you use your face for everything. So in this, it's your fingerprint. So if he wants to get on the subway, he has to use his fingerprint. If he wants to like get into the armory room in his um, fire department or whatever, he has to use his fingerprint. But the flamethrowers do not require the use of the fingerprints. And as a punishment, when you do something wrong, they remove your fingerprints, and that basically erases your life. So you're completely off the grid. You can't function in everyday life because you don't have fingerprints anymore. So you can't use the subway. You can't use public transit. You can't make purchases. You can't buy food. You can't do anything without these fingerprints. They remove his fingerprints, but he can still use a flamethrower. Why would the trigger of a weapon that is only allowed for the firefighters not be only accessible by fucking fingerprint? <laughs> I, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would it not be a biometric lock on the safety of the fucking flamethrower? Like, he can't even go into the armory to take out a flamethrower without a fingerprint, but if he just, like, steals one off somebody, he can fucking use it? That doesn't make- that's stupid. That's so dumb. Like, I- that's inconsistent use of technology. And that's what I yeah. mean. That's what makes it so frustrating because it's like they're trying to make it seem like a near future situation and like that biometric system could totally exist in 10 years or five years. But like, of course it would be biometric weapons. In what world would you not have biometric weapons? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's so frustrating me. So dumb. <laughs> yeah. I'm so annoyed. I will leave you. I will stop tangenting onto other types of media. But because we mentioned Michael B. Jordan is in this, he was also at, near the beginning of his career in a absolutely phenomenal found footage sci-fi horror film called oh. Chronicle. Oh. If you haven't seen okay. it. It is truly excellent. And it is basically like, so it basically does what the movie Brightburn did, but better and first. Um, mm -hmm. And it is about this like group of four teenagers who, because of whatever reason, develop superpowers um and they're just like regular teenagers and they f record on a handy cam like their whole experience with these superpowers and they're all best friends but one of them is like you know that like moody kind of like weird teenager that everybody knew in high school who's like a little bit emo but it kind of freaked everybody out you know me in high school basically <laughs> um but he gets these powers along with his three friends and he does not handle it well. And it's essentially like, what if your favorite superhero, like what if Superman became evil because he couldn't handle the weight or awesomeness of his own abilities? Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, it has Dane DeHaan in it, who was also in A Cure for Wellness, which is not a great horror movie. Oh, yeah. And he was in the, I think he was in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. Yeah, he was... Um, 
Osborne. He was Green Goblin. Anyway, everyone should watch yeah. Chronicle, but no one should watch Fahrenheit 451. If you want to <laughs> see a good Michael B. Jordan movie, watch Chronicle. Is my point. All right. Um, I think that's it for me. So should yes. we wrap up? I guess so. Uh, I guess that's the end. You can, yeah. You can find us on Twitter yes. at FansLabPod and perhaps other places. We're on Instagram. I'm not posting a lot. Um, and we will also be on, hopefully, TikTok soon. So you can follow us there eventually. You can follow me on TikTok now. I don't post anything, but you're welcome to. Um, but yeah, tweet at us if you have any suggestions for movies we should cover or formats you would like to see. Or if you just think we're terrible. I would like to know that. <laughs> you know, feel free to hurt my feelings. But yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye.